0: Hello, I'm Scott Soschnick. And I'm Evan Novi Williams, and this is the Tomahawk Chop Sports Business Podcast, the Sportacast.
1: It is. I didn't see you going Tomahawk Chop, I didn't see that one coming. There you go. I'd
0: like to keep you on your toes, Scott.
1: You, you do. And uh, please, yeah, oh, you all do. <laughs> Everybody <laughs> does. All right. Obviously, let's start with the Super Bowl. And anyone who listens to this show knows I constantly reference my focus group of one. I considered my whole viewing experience a focus group, uh, which I'll get to. Why don't you tell me first? how did you consume the big game mr novi Williams where were you who you were who we were had
0: had some friends in town uh, a couple from across the pond uh we audibled fairly late to go to a buddy of mine's apartment uh, and watched it on a projector and and I'll get to this later we we streamed it did not have. And you know, basic uh, bunny ears Fox, or even did Fox cable. It? We, we we streamed it online via the, the via the Fox app. I heard it was pretty good. Um, it was it was amazing, and, and and we can get into it in a little bit. But yeah, the the, the experience was really great. Shout out to to Alex, Matt, and uh, and Eric for hosting us. Uh, all in all, it was uh, it was a good group and a good time.
1: Excelente. Well, I too went to somebody's house. I'm doing the suburban thing. You did sort of your, your city thing. That's what happens. Um, but it was fun sort of being out in Phoenix. Now, I've covered enough Super Bowls in my day. I don't need to be there for day of game. Uh, but I was there for a few days, as were you, sort of taking in all the uh, accoutrement that the Super Bowl has to offer, uh, the, the networking opportunities, the parties, which are really just more networking opportunities. We had an event as well. I don't um, think
0: I had a meal for four days, Scott. I think I just ate past appetizers. Yeah, for, exactly. Uh, there was no real for food four except days. for apps. Yeah. yeah, exactly.
1: Well, that's okay. <laughs> that, that's what the Super Bowl becomes. But anyway, I went to someone's house. So uh, what I had was, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave the adults out of it because I'm really interested in, in sort of the future of broadcasting and consumption. So by the way, the food was the big star. I, I was the dessert guy. Plenty of cannoli. Everything was good. Nice. But, so I had a 14-year-old boy I had a 13-year-old boy, and I had two 10-year-old girls. So, hmm, let's see. I was really, I didn't say anything. I just wanted to see naturally what they did. So all of the kids watched the first quarter of the game. But that was it. They were like, and, and I'm sorry, Roger Goodell, multiple proclamations of this is boring. Hmm. The boys went downstairs to play video games. And by the way, again, these are sports fans. These are kids who play sports, watch sport, the whole thing, whatever. Then they went outside to actually play basketball, shoot hockey pucks, the whole thing. So they were playing. The girls went upstairs. I heard there was some stuffed animals involved in the play that was going on up there. Everybody, everybody, men, women, all the kids came back for halftime. There were multiple check-ins. Is it halftime yet? They all wanted to see Rihanna. There was some conversation. There was the instant, is she pregnant? People were looking up, is she pregnant? So that happened. Third quarter starts. Kids leave the room again. Did not return until there were two minutes left in the game. Girls stayed upstairs. Boys came in, watched the final two minutes, and that was enough for them, which I thought was absolutely fascinating. Absolutely, the NFL's problem, the NBA, Major League Baseball, National Hockey League. These kids do not want to sit in front of the television and watch a three-plus-hour broadcast.
0: I'm trying to square that, Scott, with the the numbers, and we're recording before we have the, the final ratings. But some people think, who knows, this could be one of the most, if not the most-watched Super Bowls of all time. Uh, I, I do think it's interesting what, what, you, what you're talking about there. I'm trying to think when I was 14, was I I think I was watching full Super Bowls. I think I was going to people's houses, sitting on the couch and watching And you were, And you were also the, f- interested in the, the seeing the, the commercials
1: for the first time. You had to pay attention. Now you've seen them all well before the game.
0: Yeah, that's true. And and, and certainly the video games, they were certainly weren't as good back then, but I certainly had the option of doing that. I had the option of, of shooting hoops in the backyard, right? All those things were, it's not as though like technology has given kids too many options now that weren't existent. Twenty years ago, no, but, the, uh, th- but, it's but certainly, the,
1: but the attention spans have changed due to TikTok I, and other I things. I think that
0: that's exactly right. I think that that is that that's the way that I see it. And I do wonder if if when your son is twenty one, if he if that changes, if if he is more of a watch this watch the Super Bowl in in one sitting as he gets older. But it, this is the the one of the central fears for for pretty much everyone. Uh, who works in sports right now, right? It is that things are changing and the, the the model by which sports, particularly on the media side, the model by which sports teams and leagues monetize eyeballs is built for consumers like you and I and not built for your 14-year-olds and, and, and 12-year-olds and 18-year-olds right now.
1: So the question is, though, if I can only have their attention in snippets, if I can see a TikTok dance, by the way, it's worth noting that the Kansas City Chiefs went into the game with the most followers on TikTok and they gained even more during the game. So if you're looking to at least reach, touch, whatever, the younger demo, you had the right team right there. You have the the right quarterback, you have the right championship team because they are doing TikTok better than anybody else. That's a plus. The question is, how much do I know about the kids? What kind of data do I have? Are those eyeballs just as valuable as the grownups and how do I monetize them?
0: Yeah, I think, I think that that's right. And I, I, I would be curious to know outside of a big following, what, what, being the most followed TikTok team on TikTok means for the, 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 hey, ask Jacob the, Heldman, they'll tell you they have the, the, the biggest star in the sport right now. Right. So that, that obviously helps. They've been one of the most successful teams, if not the most successful team in the NFL over the past five years. Uh, that also helps. I mean, some of that I think is just kind of. The noise of being the Kansas City Chiefs with Patrick Mahomes versus being some, having some dr- drastically different strategy potentially than a lot of other NFL teams have, uh, towards, towards TikTok. So yeah, I think in, in, in the future, we'll see how much all of that stuff has an impact. Um, but I, yeah, I, I don't, I don't get a sense. And I'm not a TikTok person. I'm not an expert here. I don't get a sense that having a great presence on TikTok right now is probably really influential from a revenue standpoint for any. Any sports team, particularly one of Says the
1: something to me, though, that Mr. Beast was in one of the commercials, because I, I don't think any of the grown-ups knew who that was.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. I didn't see that ad. Um, yeah, I would think we, even people, <laughs> young adults, a lot of them also don't know who he is, right? That that's a, that's a specific thing for for your son and people who are probably in their 20s.
1: Which they didn't see because they were outside <laughs> doing other things. Remember a while ago, and I brought this up at, at our, our get-together during the Super Bowl, when the NFL uniforms were put as skins into Fortnite. Yeah, yeah, Fortnite was very popular, you want to reach kids, and you and I had the conversation at the time. It isn't often when there's a relationship, a two-party relationship with the NFL where the NFL is not coming off as the dominant partner, where that other uh the other entity needs the NFL sure. more than the other way around. And we said it at the time and you and I were in agreement that the NFL needed TikTok a whole lot more than TikTok or I'm not Fortnite, TikTok, yeah. Fortnite than Fortnite needed the NFL, I mean, marshmallows, you know, aggregating, I don't know how many tens of millions of eyeballs for this virtual concert in the Fortnite game. So the kids were already there. That's, that is fishing where the fish are. Uh, now the question is, all right, they want to use these, these skins, uh, on the characters. But again, I'm sure, you know, obviously the NFL gets a piece of each one that, that is sold. How do you make them fans of football and how do you get them to, uh, spend some money with you?
0: What did you make of the – did any of the ads stick out to you? I'll be honest. I didn't – I wasn't paying much attention to the advertisements. I was in in our room, which was maybe 10 adults in their their 30s. Uh, Very underwhelmed and actually kind of confused by the Rob Gronkowski – Kicking ad. Yeah. Which was one of the rare, one of the first live, uh, apparently live commercials during the game. And it all happened very rushed and and it was very confusing. Probably the most expensive. if If you add the $10 million they were giving away, plus the cost to buy the spot, plus whatever it costs to pay. Rob Gronkowski and, and the technology related to having a live ad, probably one of, if not the most expensive Super Bowl ads that aired yesterday. Um, and, and, and in our room, there was just like a lot of confusion and then it was over and he missed the kick, but it, that wasn't clear. And then they said, You won anyway. Terrible angle. Um, Terrible. Yeah, the angle was bad. I, I, that, that one actually seemed like, for, for all of the buzz that, that existed around that. And I thought it was a fairly innovative idea kind of trying to keep people interested in a specific ad without seeing it ahead of time, obviously. Um, and I thought that one kind of fell flat.
1: Well, at ours, I will say there was lots of talks about puppies. I don't know if they cared about the product. A lot or of whatever, dogs, but yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, but there was lots of puppy talk. The one that stood out for me, or two actually, we did talk about Jesus. You know, we yeah, had many come to Jesus yeah. moments and normally he- touch down Jesus's Notre Dame conversation, but this was Super Bowl <laughs> commercial conversation. And it was just sort of like, what's this? You know, and I said, "Hey, we're actually working on some stuff." And you, you know, you, you're wondering, "Hey, who's behind it? What's the purpose?" So we, we talked about okay. this
0: on the pod a couple of weeks ago, Scott. You had never, you hadn't seen them before. I hadn't they, seen them. No. They were all over the, the college football bowl games, right? So they spent a ton. With Proof the positive, ESPN. I do
1: not watch the bowl. There
0: games. you go. Yeah, they spent a ton with ESPN, and obviously spent uh, easily ten plus million dollars uh, at, at the Super Bowl yesterday to get to get multiple spots.
1: All right. Well, the one, but the one I talked about was like really i mean i i watch them. we talk about a little bit the one that i actually felt the need to be like "Ooh," was the only time i made a real comment was i was like boy i wouldn't want to be the land rover discovery following the cancer ad Mm. (laughs) i was like every it was such a downer it was like you know it was about how people are treated at the office you know who are sick and it was just like wow i'm like wait what is this like this is Oh, oh, this is oh, this is hard. Oh, oh, you know, just down, down, and then it's like Land Rover Discovery. You know, it's like it just didn't. It was, I don't know if they understood placement. Did they know they were following this cancer? Do you know that? I to me, it seems so incongruous to be sort of this down, and then oh, hey, adventure driving car on mountain. It just didn't work for me. Um, We were still talking about the cancer. At.
0: Probably one of the reasons why, and I believe this is true, that the the first ad in a block is usually the more exp- most expensive one. It's probably the the most watched. Set the tone. Um, but also, yeah, I think you you avoid whatever it is coming before you impacting the way that viewers view the, the 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 slot that you're in. Scott, I want to make sure before we move on to mention the the streaming. Um, I thought the fox our fox experience was was really really good, and I just read this morning via thestreamable.com dot It sounds like, in large part, the Fox online stream was ahead of cable. It was faster. Yeah, faster. Which is um, pretty shocking to me and is also, uh, to me, a fairly big deal. There's been so much made of frustrations. I I have been one of them. Someone who cut cut the cord a few years ago and has been extremely frustrated by how far behind I often am in my own apartment watching sporting events, particularly if you're trying to bet on live things or I've had... Hearing people cheer in the building next to me uh, during the World Cup, which has ruined uh, ruined the experience for me. There, there's a lot about that 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 process that has been frustrating. To hear that that right now at at the biggest streaming event of the year, that Fox was able to have a a, a digital version that was actually ahead of the cable broadcast, that feels like a very significant milestone. In the, the the gradual or maybe even not so gradual shift of consumers from the cable side to the streaming side.
1: Yeah, that, that big cheer you hear is all those involved in sports gambling and wagering. Because you've hundred percent it has to be, yeah. you can't have latency. Like that's it. It's, it's about real time. sport yeah. like football. Yeah, a- absolutely. All right. Well, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers did not make the Super Bowl, uh, but the Glazer family is involved in another football, Manchester United, for sale, uh, expecting, I think, by the end of this week, we should have some of the heavyweight bidders involved, whether it's Jim Radcliffe and perhaps a group tied to Qatar, uh, interested in, in Man U. What do we, uh, we value them at six billion dollars um i I don't feel frothy, like I don't feel f- a frothiness about
0: it it very different than chelsea
1: yeah very different than yep. chelsea the I don't feel that frothiness about the auction, but you only need a couple. there are some bids already in some sort of preemptive, but uh I don't know if I'm being right or wrong, but reading tea leaves i I at this point would probably pit this against perhaps Qatar Group versus Jim Ratcliffe, who has made it clear that he he wants this asset and he's working with j p morgan already and, and to make it happen so um we, we will see, but uh, you know, certainly a certain global brand in the sports world out there up for sale.
0: I, I have a few thoughts on this. The, the first being that I, I, you're right. The, the Chelsea sale felt there, w- there was so much going on and the Manu sale feels very different, the process. Um, and I'll use a comparison here in the NFL, the, the Broncos sale from last year also felt like there was a lot going on and the commander sale, obviously a very different circumstance right now feels like it's, it's, it's a little bit, uh, a a little bit colder. And, and I think one of the big things there is, is just the difference in price here, right? Chelsea sold for two and a half million dollars with a, with a billion, with a couple billion committed to sell. We're talking about a six potential $6 billion, maybe even more transaction here for Man U. And, and, And this comparison works again for the Broncos and and, and the commanders, which could be a $7 billion asset, the higher price the, these assets get, just the fewer people that, are, that have the ability to cut a check that large or even to finance something that big, it, it, you really are talking about some of the richest people or funds in the world to be able to buy a, a, a $6 billion soccer team. So I think some of the reason it's not as vibrant is just, again, there's just fewer people that that can do it. The other thing I think that that is that is happening maybe a little bit here in in the EPL is we talked about this last week the the potential crackdown on Manchester City for its financial fair play um, so, some of the the decisions and, and the business moves that it has made in the past decade I do think potentially changes the way that some investors look at European soccer teams for for a decade. It really did feel like the powers that be in European soccer were largely ignoring a lot of the rules around what teams can spend, what they bring in, how those two things are directly tied together. I do think that an asset like Manchester United, I don't think it's crazy to say it may be worth less in a world where all of those rules are strictly enforced.
1: That was a lot. But in the alphabet soup, of all, <laughs> uh, I, I should like to at least remind people that when we reference Qatar, on, at least on this purchase, it is not QSI. Which is which owns PSG? PSG, you know, yeah, <laughs> QSI PSG. Uh, it's just it's folks tied to Qatar, which probably have ties to the royal family, et cetera. But it's not QSI, which owns yeah. PSG. In, in, it's it's in very
0: hard to tell, kind of how those, how, how intricate and how, how connected. Yeah, how intertwined
1: are. Yeah. they are yeah. it, exactly. But here's I think also a little difference here. Glazer's given a good number. I think would happily sell. Right. Okay. I think that's. I think that's fair to say. That's. Define good. Those tea oh, it's five six, good. Six. Five and a half up. Six billion. Like, okay. yeah. You know. I think they're okay. That's a good number, and we're we're okay selling. Dan Snyder, in his heart of hearts, and we don't know for sure, but again, tea leaf reading and speaking with people, I don't think Dan Snyder wants to sell this team. Mm. I think Dan Snyder wants to sell a a pretty sizable limited partnership in yeah. the team and. I would think if you're going to be to somebody, by the way, with real estate expertise that can help him with the stadium because he can't get it done, he's going to need somebody with some real estate expertise to get that project done. Uh, so they bring strategic value. Maybe they pay a decent or get a little, an LP discount that's decent because of the, that strategic value with a path to control over, I don't know, three, five, seven, whatever it may be. But I just don't get the sense in his heart of hearts that Dan Snyder wants to sell the team. He still wants to control it. So that's a, that's a whole different ball of wax. Also, you have to ask yourself, if he decides he doesn't want to sell the team, how hard does the NFL push to get him out? Do the other owners want to get together and be like, no, no, we're going to force him out because of the investigation and all, and all that stuff? So, I, I don't know. Impossible to know. But I just get from, from a sale perspective, I think it's going to be easier to pry Man U away from the Glazers than it will the Commanders uh, from Dan Snyder. So that, that is that. You know who's not going to buy it? Uh, ISO's Capital. Not going to buy the Commanders. Neither are any of these private equity firms and, the, and these outside firms. It's not yet. Uh, these <laughs> investor firms. Yeah. But there's a new player on the scene, uh, George Barrios, Michelle Wilson, and new partner, Carmelo Anthony, forming a $750 million in sports and in sports-adjacent investment fund, the 750 is not an accident. It's, it's what you got to raise to participate in the uh, MLB and NBA. So uh, just another player on the scene. We were, um, we were chatting with Carmelo, George, a- and Michelle. They, have, uh, they, they say they have a you know, diverse group, which is true. They have operational expertise, formerly of WWE. They brought Bolero public, did very well there. So just another player in the, what I like, sports, and sports adjacent, that could be tech, could be media, could be really, could be anything. Uh, probably in investments in the one uh, one fifty range. So do the math, six, seven, whatever. Um, your thoughts on Carmelo, George, and Michelle getting in the game?
0: It's not the first of these groups, obviously, and it's not going to be the last group that that, that raises uh, many hundred million dollars, a billion dollars, whatever the number. Yeah, they is. they haven't raised yet, right? And, they haven't raised
1: yet. They have, to they go have and not raised
0: now. yet in the process. Um, the the idea, I think, is. It makes sense to me, right? The, the the basic idea here is there's a pretty much a finite number of elite sports businesses. They, they almost always appreciate in value. A lot of these owners, we talk about this on the show almost every week. A lot of these owners are looking to take money off the table. And every league except the NFL in, in, in the US has recently changed its rules to let funds like ISO 7, uh, for example, uh, buy out passive minority stakes. So yeah, I think in investing in Uh, being strategic about it, but investing in minority stakes in these teams. And then as you said, Scott, business ancillary businesses around the outside, uh, certainly seems like it is a logical, uh, investment thesis for, for 2023. Uh, it's a great spot for Carmelo as well. And and, and his name, I think gets lost a little bit when people talk about the, the current or or recently current uh, active active athletes who are, who are doing a lot of interesting stuff. Carmelo had a, a very successful, alongside uh, his, his partner, a, a very successful uh, venture investing career over the past decade. SeatGeek, Lyft, Casper Mattress, DraftKings, I believe, is in there as well. Uh, he, he's really hit some home runs. And it it, it seems like this is the logical next step, right? When you are an athlete and you have X amount of dollars, you have, you can do the venture, try to hit the home runs, early stage investing. And then as you get a little bit more money, as maybe some of those pay off, you graduate to this next step, right? Which is not venture investing. This is investing in bona fide companies bonafide franchises and things of that nature. so yeah I'm mean, kudos to, to, to Michelle uh, and, and George this is looks like a really great opportunity and also kudos to, to Carmelo as well. Uh, really interested to see what the three of them do.
1: Yeah they were pretty clear by the way George and Michelle were clear that this is investment in profitable or near profitable companies. This won't be speculative bets on, you know, like you said, or just yeah, uh, that's interesting, companies without you, a track record. As yeah.
0: you know, there's a whole there's a whole lot of sports teams in America, big sport valuable sports teams that are not profitable right yep. now. Right. And 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 they George and Michelle have operator experience the 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 trajectory that the wwe has been on recently i think is very impressive and 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 has, has has turned a lot of heads in the sports and the entertainment world so i do think that that for in large part the 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 expertise that they have i think is one of the things that, that they think maybe sets them apart from some of the competitors who are there's a lot of funds out there scott that are also raising a lot of money and are also looking to buy up stakes and teams
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think they are certainly um, touting their operational expertise. If people don't know, they were co-presidents of WWE for a while, and Vince McMahon brought them back. They are now board members of WWE as the sale process is underway. So they certainly know that business well. They certainly know media. They know global. Those are all the things that made the WWE so valuable. Uh, All right,
0: real, real quick before we move on, at some point, is there is there too much money? looking for these passive stakes, Scott? Arctos has raised more than, at this point five billion billion. Dial Home Court has raised hundreds of millions that we know. The ISO 7, potentially looking for $750 million or more. There's there's Fiverr's Dynasty Equity is is, is raising. There's so many people out there that are looking for money on this same thesis. And again, everybody talks about the finite number here. At some point, do we just have too many funds? And I get there's global opportunity too, but... It does make me wonder if at some point there, there, there's, there's not enough passive minority stakes in the big five U.S. leagues uh, to, 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 to match everyone who's looking to, to, to buy up those stakes.
1: If it was just LP stakes and small pieces of teams, I'd say yes. Even though, by the way, if, you're, if you have your ear to the ground, there's a ton of opportunity yeah. out there. Mm-hmm. So, but going global, I think the, the audience... Global audience is, is growing. Um, the fact that it's sports adjacent properties as well. So right now I say no. I would say no. I think there's yeah. enough for everybody. Certainly enough for everybody. And you've got the existing players also with you know moving deck chairs and how can we. And we can close with one of those where we have the Haslam family, Columbus Crew, Cleveland Browns, um, Jimmy and D Haslam now looking to get in on the NBA. They are talking with Mark Lassery one-third owner, part owner of the Milwaukee Bucks, about taking his stake of the basketball team.
0: I, I think this is news we broke on, on Friday. This is, I think, turned some heads, I, I think for two reasons. One, uh, Turned uh, our heads when we heard about it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, yeah. Uh, the Haslams are um, obviously fairly prominent, D and Jimmy. Uh, fairly prominent owners in sports. You mentioned the, the, the Cleveland, uh, Cleveland, um, Cleveland Browns and the Columbus crew. They've been looking to get into the NBA for a bit now. They were one of the the late people talking to Glenn Taylor about buying, uh, buying the Timberwolves before Mark Laurie and Alex Rodriguez got their deal done. Uh, the Timberwolves are, are not close to, to 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 Ohio, but one of the closer NBA teams to Ohio, so it makes sense. I think geographically, you, you talk a lot, Scott, about the how owners want to be in their own bed at head hell. on the, on the, the pillow, ease, baby, head on the pillow. The ease of of of, of a of a private plane to, to to their other team. Uh, this certainly fits the bill. In that regard, and then I think a lot of people also are, are just kind of surprised to hear Mark Lassery's name out there as someone who is interested in selling. Mark and 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 Wes Edens, two hedge fund billionaires, Jamie big Dynan too. In, in the business side, and Jamie Dynan as well. Um, they they bought the the bucks I think in 2014. Um, they paid about a half a billion dollars for and it. By it the way, everybody
1: a, said they were the craziest of the everyone folks, right? said they was, were crazy. That was worse than the problem Everybody said, said they are nuts.
0: Yeah. To, to buy this team for, for what they did. And, um, they've been extremely successful. There's a brand new stadium. They won an NBA championship. Um, but uh, you know, behind the scenes, they, they're shifting, uh, ownership every five years. Mark Lassery's term as the lead owner, uh, is up at the end of next season, so at the end of next season, he'll have a, another five years of West being the lead owner before he's the lead guy again. Um, I do think there's, yeah, th- 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 that I think is maybe playing a part here. Certainly
1: plays into it, yeah. Exactly.
0: So I think the, the 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 two parts of of the Haslams being an ownership group that is fairly present, uh, and and the fact that Mark Lazary has had so much success in a very short time at the Bucks and maybe looking to exit. I think for those two reasons, uh, th- this one got a lot of attention.
1: Uh, and it's going to continue to get attention. <laughs> Let's see. For sure, hey, why, yeah. Why, why don't you tell, what do we got coming up? We, we do a little XFL on the, the show later in the week, or Russ Brandon, president we of the do,
0: XFL. Yeah, Russ Brandon coming on. If Those of you who who wake up on Monday morning after the Super Bowl and think, man, I'm going to miss football for a while. <laughs> the XFL and the USFL have uh, have games coming up in the, in the next few months. Um, XFL 3.0 Scott Danny Garcia Dwayne the Rock Johnson Redbird Capital uh, an, another great little stu- case study business study and does this does this work Does spring football spring professional football work in America There is a whole heap of evidence so far that it doesn't But uh, every time there's a new very qualified and, and interesting ownership group looking to looking to make it so So really excited to talk to to Russ about. How he thinks the XFL is different from a lot of the ones that have come before and have struggled, including other XFL properties and, and, and what that's going to look like over the next few months.
1: Speaking of excitement, one of the adult guests at the Super Bowl soiree I was at uh, was from Udinese um, mm. in, in Italy. And of course, we were talking football, soccer. And I said, "Well, I happen to know, you know, the owner of AC Milan," and he went, hey, Jerry Cardinale," and he was saying he thought he'd done a nice job. And then, of course, we just became a big discussion about U.S. football, uh, European soccer. So uh, it, it was funny to see his excitement just to to have somebody there who could talk a little bit about European football. He, Amazing, he, yeah, he was, yeah. It wasn't just going to be about the uh, the Eagles and the Chiefs. So he was he was very happy to do that. All right, he is. Eben Novi Williams on the Twitter Novi underscore Williams. I'm Scott Soschnick on Twitter at Soschnick. Our producer is Matt Whitehurst. Thank you very much, Matt. Digital media editor is Cora Veltman. She loves it when I remind you that the show can be found at Sporticast, which is the hub of the Sportico Media Network.